Are you ready to jump into Luke? We're going to finish up Luke chapter 1 this morning. Let's go. go. Buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) That wasn't even in my notes, but that just helped me transition here. We're going to... We're going to wrap it up with communion and a couple more songs of worship here at the end. But what we want to ask, again, to segue off what I was just saying is, are are we ready for God to work? If God's going to work, we cannot be passive. We are not just sitting back watching it. He will do it. And it's not a burden for us to jump in. And in every, in every person here, there are gifts and strengths that God will put to work, put to use. And so it's not a burden, I have to do this, or, well, do I have to teach that Sunday school class? If you can discover and do the thing God has gifted you to do, it will be exciting and it will be. But it's important for us to understand what is the work we're doing? If we're yielded to God, if we're participating in the work, what is that work? And so that work is seeing people's lives changed. And I've said many times, the work is not filling up a building. We're not here merely to fill the seats. We can do that at a Blazer game. They won by 30 plus points last night. Amen. It was good to see them hit the, hit the rim, hit the net. Amen. Praise the Lord. Our job is not to fill seats, it's to change lives. And how does God do that? He does it through our changed lives. We are people who can say, I was once blind and now I see. Would you come and there's no arm twisting and you have to join my church. I love how some of the, earth, the, the apostles would say, just, just come and see. Just come and see. And if we're going to ask them to come and see, then we want visitors to come and see how the Lord has worked in our lives. We are people who once were in shame, but now we can say, My life is completely different. My life was desperate, but now I have purpose in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Our story here in Luke 1 is along those lines. And the birth announcements of John the Baptist and Jesus to Zacharias and Elizabeth to Mary and Joseph. And we're going to pick up the story at verse 57 and finish the chapter. Luke writes, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. She brought forth the son when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her. They rejoiced with her. You remember that Zacharias and Elizabeth were older in age beyond childbearing years There was the social shame of not having any children. Zacharias is a priest. At this time, he is serving in the temple, burning incense. Gabriel comes and stands before him and says, 
you are going to have a son. Verse 59, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. But his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have called him. And he, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. And so they all marveled immediately. His mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. You remember when Gabriel said to Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And, Ga and Zacharias questioned Gabriel, how is that possible? He didn't quite believe the angel. And Gabriel says, well, because you didn't believe me as proof, you're not going to be able to speak until the, the baby is born. So that's what all of that is about. This exciting story, I think there's so many stories like this in the Bible that we, we've sensationalized. They're almost these, we call them Bible heroes, right? Not the NerdCon heroes, the Bible heroes. And we, we, we aspire to be like them. But I want to say again, they're just normal people like you. The only thing that, stands out is that almost nobody ever heard of them. And they're just quietly serving God without any expectation of being noticed or even thinking anything big is going to happen in their lives. And I want you to know that, that you and I who are quietly serving the Lord, God sees us and he desires to work through us. God's not looking for celebrity people. And let me tell you that growing up in Los Angeles, about 20, 30 minutes from my house was Sunset Strip, Hollywood. You tend to know people that have worked in the business. My own nephew has run, uh, you know, animation studios, worked on, you know, well-known movies, was an executive at Disney. That sense of celebrity permeates everything around Southern California. It even permeates the churches. And there is this sense even in the churches that we are, we are, we have celebrity status or our pastor is a celebrity or whatever is going on. And it's so good to just get back to these Bible stories and remember, really, when somebody comes, becomes well-known in the Bible, or even today, it's because God has used their lives in obscurity and done something amazing. Like, like Joshua, who, pre, who, was, who followed up uh, Moses as leading the people of Israel. He was like nobody, just working in the background. And one you know, one day in the beginning of the book of Joshua, the Lord says, get ready. It's going to happen. Tomorrow, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to raise you up in front of the people. So our faith is, is not in who we are, but in who the Lord is. When Elizabeth first conceived in Luke 125, she said, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach 
among the people. The, that social shame. It wasn't a spiritual shame. It was a social shame of not having any children. But for her, it was significant that the Lord had done this for her and Zacharias. When Zacharias responds, his mouth is then opened. He begins to say a, a prophecy of the coming work of the Messiah in the rest of this chapter. I'm going to pick up at verse 65 and read forward. It says that fear came upon all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? Speaking of John the Baptist. And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, and I want to just look at some of the things that Zacharias said about the coming ministry of Jesus Christ. He gives four pictures of the coming work of Jesus Christ coming into the world. The first one is the opening of prison doors, that the ministry of Jesus will be like opening prison doors. At verse 67, Luke 1, 67, he says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That word redeemed means to set free by paying a price. In those days, someone could go into debt, and if they didn't pay their debt, they would go into debtor's prison. And you would stay in servitude until your debt was paid. We know a lot about debt, don't we? It has become a way of life to be in debt. But what if somebody came along in those days and paid your debt so that you could go free? And I love that, that simple analogy because sometimes maybe you're telling somebody about Jesus and, and say, you know, do you, you need to be saved. And they're thinking, saved? Saved from what? And this is a great Simple picture. It's like paying a debt so that you can go free. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, how many of you in this room, assuming you hypothetically might have some debt, would not welcome somebody come along and pay all of your debts for you? Who would, who would take me up on that offer? This is not a trick question. It's a hypothetical question, but if it really happened, you're saying, yes, here's my debt. Who's saying, pay off my house? Off my house. <laughs> Anybody saying, no, I love debt? <laughs> Low was first. Okay. How many of you would not like the debt of your sin paid off? Like, paid off. 
Because that, that means if you have huge debt, that radically changes your life. Now think of all the things that you could go do. That is what Jesus does for us. The second picture is that of winning a battle. Winning a battle. Verses 69 through 75. Luke says, he has raised up, or Zechariah says, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to redeem his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. So salvation is like winning a battle, a battle against an enemy that we face that is keeping us from living our lives for the Lord. Now, of course, there's a, there's a lot of language here that would be kind of familiar to the nation of Israel and the Old Testament because there were constantly threats of enemies coming around them that really wanted to destroy them. And by the way, one of the ways that God has testified to the world, to all the nations of his faithfulness and of his power is how he protects and provides for the nation of Israel. Did you know that? I had one woman just came to my mind who sat in my church like second, third row for months and months. She was a brand new Christian. She would give me the eagle eye every Sunday and take copious notes of everything I said. She had been through every Eastern and world religion and tried them. And as her last attempt at finding God, she believed in Jesus Christ. But she was going to test every word, literally every word I said. Because she was waiting, as she would say in these other religions, eventually the dark side would come out of these other religions she committed to. So she believed in Jesus but was holding out this suspicion that maybe the dark side of Christianity would come out. Isn't that interesting? And one day, it was about after nine months of listening to me, she said, Pastor Terry, could I have coffee with you? I have a few questions. That is the least favorite question any pastor can get. Can I meet with you? Because you don't know what, can I, I'm going to give you a million dollars or I have a bone to pick with you. I have no idea what it is. And, and I've gotten both. So we sat down. She says, I, I like everything I have heard out of the word of God that you've taught. I don't have any problem, but I've been reading the Bible from Genesis all the way through. She was that kind of person. She was going to do her homework. And she, one of the questions was interesting. It was this fact that God chose Israel to love. What kind of God, if God loves the world, what kind of God would just choose this one nation to love them? I think that's a good question, don't you think? 
That is a common misconception of the Bible. Because you see, God didn't reject the world and then choose to love one nation. Do you know that? It was at the Tower of Babel that the world rejected God. It's the other way around. The world, the nations of the world or the peoples of the world rejected God. So what is God going to do when the world says, go away? It was, it was after that that God formed another, uh, one new nation, the nation of Israel, that through this one nation, they would be a testimony of his love, his power, his faithfulness. And he says it in Isaiah 43, Uh, I think it's 10 and 11. God says, you are my witnesses that besides me, there is no savior. The other nations that have rejected God could see God's character in how he would love and care for this small group of people. So God didn't exclude the world. The world excluded God. That's your answer. She goes, that makes perfect sense. And then she had a few more questions. But I answered about five questions. And when you get the whole biblical context, it makes perfect sense. God loves the world. But make no mistake, the world does not love God. And yet, God still is long-suffering. And as Peter said, not willing that any should perish. And in his dealings with Israel, he would win their battles. He would defeat their enemies, showing himself strong in enemies or troops that were many times larger than the smaller numbers of the people of Israel. And yet the the only way that these other nations would know that this tiny little weak nation was so blessed is because their God was the true and living God, not the other gods that were fashioned out of stone and wood. The canceling of a debt is a third picture that we have. The canceling of a debt, not just paying a debt, but canceling a debt, 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Related to the first one, but remission means to send away, to dismiss, to pay a debt. Debt. Not only is there punishment because of sin, but there is debt because of sin. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a hard one for non-Christians or sinners to be aware of. When you talk about being forgiven of their debts, forgiven of their sins, they might not even be aware that they have sinned. In fact, the world doesn't really like that that word, do they? Sin. When was the last time you used the word sin in talking to a non-Christian? 
We just don't use that word. It's harsh. It sounds judgmental. It sounds condemning. Another way that you might explain the word sin is it's, it's not an accusation. It's an explanation. Because here's what every person knows. They know, they know out of their own mouth, well, no one's perfect. Have you heard that recently? Well, no one's perfect. Great. You have your very definition of the word sin. You just, you just said it. Why do we need to do better and be forgiven when the whole world is fallen? The word sin you, you've probably heard is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. An archer would shoot for the bullseye, and if he misses the bullseye, he has what? What? He has sinned. That's what it means. And it, it, it means maybe you've tried to hit the mark, but you miss. And that is exactly our common experience that we're trying to do what's right, and I keep missing the mark. It means to miss the mark, or it means to fall short. And I identify with that. I would like to do better than I am. I would like to be 5'10". I'm only 5'8". I endeavor to have a voice that sounds like I'm 5'10", just so I can impress you. In your private lives, you know that you're working on things that, that you know you would like to be better. Amen? Amen? So we who are born again, we're not putting on that we're better than others that we're trying to tell about Jesus. In fact, we're saying we're just like them. We are just like them. I was trying to do what's right, and I kept falling short. I would try and do this, and I could just never do it. I could never get my act together. I would try and be friendly to these people or love these people. And it was always, always difficult. To be forgiven of sin is to get a restart. And that relates to the fourth picture that Zacharias has given us. This is the dawning of a new day. The dawning of a new day. Salvation is like the dawning of a new day. Isn't it great to finish a day and go, well, I get another one tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes it's just nice to get through the day go to bed and go, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow will be different. But I love waking up to sunshine, and the best thing is, is, you know, a bright, sunny day. I used to go to the beach early in the morning, Redondo Beach, and I just love to get down there at like 5 in the morning whenever the sun is coming up. Nobody's there, no surfers, nobody to annoy me. But the Christian life is like a new day, the beginning of a new day. 
verses 78 and 79, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, I love that word, that's an Old Testament word, the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Dayspring means sunrise. So a new life in Christ is like a sunrise. It's like a new day. Matthew 4, 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. I love that. Zacharias has not spoken for nine months. And in that time, it's interesting how God will allow you and I to go through dark seasons, seasons where we're just left to contemplate, to think about our life, to think about what the Lord is, is doing. And sometimes it can feel like we're going to be stuck in that dark season forever. And then suddenly the Lord makes a change, and it's a new day. And frankly, let me tell you this, and I hadn't planned to say this, but coming here to be your pastor is like this for me. I never expected this to happen. It was a surprise. And the more I thought about this, and the more I'm here, and my wife and I are talking about this, and my kids, my three daughters, Dad, you should just go do that. You should just go be their pastor. I'm going, what? Shut up. <laughs> I kind of feel like Zacharias, like I'm past that time. I, I know I, I, sometimes I'm only 63. I'm not 93. My father-in-law is 93. 92? 92. 93 sounds better. But it's amazing how we think our seasons are past and the Lord says, oh, no, it's a new day. It's a new season. So it's time to wake up. And you could be in your 20s, your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you're thinking, oh, I'm just, I just, I'm tired. I want to be left alone. And I just want to be available to the Lord. If the Lord wants to do something new in your life, here's the question. Will you let him? The question is not, what are you going to go make happen? And I will say that a lot to you because so often it feels like in the Christian life, we're trying to manufacture something. And I don't have the strength for that. None of us has the ability the cleverness, the strategy, the charisma, the celebrity influence to go save Albany. Just to confess that to you, I'm not up to that. But I am up to whatever the Lord wants to do. And if the Lord says, Terry, go be their pastor, teach them the word and strengthen them and encourage them, I can do that. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Greg Laurie. I'm Terry McNabb from Carson, California. And here's what I know, that I was nobody, and the Lord let me get in on his work. 
And I, I love the grace of God. The name John means God is gracious. There was nobody in their family named John. And so when Gabriel said, you're to name him John, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they weren't quite sure that that was okay because that wasn't a family name. John's a familiar name now. But it means God is gracious. And what God is saying is the forerunner of the savior of the world is going to be gracious. Not law, not judgmental. And so as we are going and telling people in our community about the Lord, we're not putting on the heat. We're just saying, man, the Lord is good. 